0: news drives markets and every day montel's experienced reporters are on top of the stories that shape european market developments can you afford to miss out go to montelnews.com for the latest price driving stories and a free trial
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. Bring energy matters in an informal setting. Today, we'll talk about the global coal market and hope to address some of the concerns highlighted by several of you listeners out there. Is coal anachronistic, a relic of the age of combustion, or a necessary fuel to ensure the lights stay on in many parts of Europe in the coming years? Joining me to talk about current market dynamics and the medium to long-term prospects of coal are Diana Basilla, Senior Analyst at Alpic, and Montel Coal and Gas Editor, Lawrence Walker. A warm welcome to you both.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Richard. Happy to, to be here talking to you as well.
1: Always good to have you on board, Diana. I'd like to just kick off the discussion before I sort of pass over the baton to Laurie. It's been a bad year for coal in Europe this year. Have we turned the corner, Diana?
0: Well, it has been a bad year because of the switch from coal to gas that we have witnessed starting even from last year. That was the beginning of the whole uh, structural change that we are witnessing. But if we, if you're looking at the prices in Europe, I wouldn't say that uh, they are extremely bad. Of course, we were expecting this structural uh, decline in prices and for them to, to near more uh, cash costs of uh, production. That's just because of the the cycle uh, determines to 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 happen. However, we had many many different events that have uh, driven or made a lot of volatility for coal prices in 2020, and probably, if I have to to take a stand on it, will continue doing so in the years to come.
2: Okay. Uh, yes, Diana. I wanted to ask a little bit more about the prices actually as well. Obviously, we saw know, lows of below 40 even on spot prices earlier this year, front month prices, do you see us returning to such levels at some point in the near term? Or do you think, as Richard mentioned, we're we're past this now and we have enough, a bit more momentum, a bit more balance in the market?
0: I guess it will depend on the the outlook we are talking about. Are we talking the short term? Are we talking this winter? Are we talking the uh, uh, longer term?
2: Well, if we're looking at next year, perhaps.
0: Next year. Well, first of all, we we have to pass the winter. <laughs> and Why I'm saying this is because we have many drivers in the short term which have been uh, on the table, let's say, in the coal market. So first of all, the main reason why prices have reached this 38, as you mentioned, the uh, level in Europe, have been connected with uh, the lockdowns that we have witnessed, with the fact that demand has disappeared. Trade has contracted, actually, uh, as a result of lower demand uh, so far in 2020. Uh, major demand centers have reduced their their coal imports. At the same time, major suppliers had to react to that. And on the other hand, the emerging economies, uh, for example, if I'm thinking about Vietnam, Pakistan, Bangladesh, they all have managed to restock a little bit more, taking advantage of the, the low price environment. And this has happened in, in, in the beginning of the years I've mentioned um, as a connection as well to the huge plunge that we have seen in oil prices as well. And as I mentioned, the the, the whole uh, reduction or contraction in demand. The reason why, let's say later on, we, we have seen a rebound was mostly connected, as you are aware as well, of uh, on the strike, uh, the long lasting, let's say, strike that we have in Colombia now. This okay. has happened uh, since August and apparently it's still lasting. They, they are not able to find uh, an agreement. It's It's now around 70 days. So we have lost that supply. At the same time, we had a rail disruption in Russia, which uh, did not allow the Atlantic balance, let's say, to, to find more coal. So that's why prices have picked up a little bit uh, lately. But now the, the latest month, we, we had another surprise from the Chinese government this time, which uh, due to the um, political tensions between China and Australia, have imposed a ban on Australian coal. And that has made a turn in the market. And now we are, we are back to, let's say, uh, close to 50 level. But even this level, because Richard has asked, are we witnessing a very low time for coal? Well, yes, we are. But still, the major producers, the more competitive ones, are still relatively fine in, in terms of uh, the margins.
1: And Diana, it's very interesting to see what's happening in America. Now, what do you think a Biden presidency will mean for the, for the coal market? What's the impact and the consequences of Biden in the White House?
0: That has been a very interesting topic, especially since Biden presidency, apparently seen by China or Biden as a president is seen as a more favorable uh, person to deal with than Trump. So this could help Ease the tensions uh, between uh, US and China when it comes to, to the, the trade war that we have with, witnessed in the previous years. And uh, at the same time, what could happen is the fact that um, a change in, in the. US presidency could even help deescalate the current tensions between uh, China and Australia as Australia is an ally of the US as well. So that could have an implication of uh, change in this import ban uh, for next year and in the long term, Why not even uh, improve uh, total energy exports out of the U.S. into China?
2: Can I ask, regarding Russia, actually, you you touched a little on Russian exports. They appear to have been a little bit of a saviour, at least, with the shortfall in Colombian coal in recent months. Well, we're seeing data now showing that um, there's more, more coal from Russia going to Asia than to Europe in the first half of the year, but at the same time, Russia has been sort of ramping up his capacity in the West. So we've seen increased capacity at Usluga. They've got this new port at Taman, which they're saying they're going to expand from, say, 3 million tons a month capacity at present to 4 million tons. What is their game plan, do you think? And why this increase in capacity, at least in in the European side of things?
0: I think the main, uh, let's say, demand region in the Atlantic, as Europe is starting to dry up, is Turkey. So if Russia is increasing uh, its capacity in the West, is mostly to feed up the Turkish market. Could be also some North African countries as well um, that are uh, increasing or uh, slightly, let's say, most of them have already changed the plans of uh, investments uh, from coal to something else. But still, there are still some plans online uh, for increasing coal power capacity, which means that um, the supply that uh, will Increase, let's say, uh, from Russia based on the increase in infrastructure capacity will feed these markets. As well, this could come as a fact that uh, US coal has been shrinking heavily. So the exports out of US uh, have declined uh, due to the fact that US is a very high cost supplier. So, of course, market forces have made this happen. And also, if we look at Colombia, plans from Colombia to expand capacity have dried up as well with Glencore putting on, uh, on hold its operation at, due to the low price environment, let's say. So this leaves room for Russia to step in.
2: Assuming we're not going to see much more coming over from Serehon, for example, before the end of the year, how reliant is Europe on Russia this winter? And are they likely to exploit this, ask particularly higher prices over the winter period?
0: One thing that is important, I mean, now, as you mentioned, Serehon is out with the production at the same time. Due to the La Linea presence in the Atlantic, Colombia risks having heavy rains in the central part of the country where Drummond is also producing. So you don't risk only losing this serejón supply, but also could uh, end up losing Drummond. So yes, as a result, Russia will, uh, will step in to, let's say, balance this demand. And the question remains, how will the Chinese government do between, I mean, at the moment as we know they they impose a ban on australian coal meaning that market players in china are running after other types of supply like russia south africa to replace that coal so the question will be will russian coal see better margins in the east therefore their the prices to europe will as a result have to be to be higher as well because of the competition between uh, pacific and atlantic or Will we see better relationships between China and Australia, which, as a result, will not necessarily have to leave Russian buyers with, uh, let's say, a potential uh, uplay in prices? Therefore, they would just have to be dependent on what European demand will be willing to pay up for.
2: Kind of related to that is the obviously the very high Richards Bay prices, uh, South African coal prices, we've seen recently as well, and we're hearing perhaps obviously more opportunity now for any Colombian supply that does come to go to asia instead in, in maybe in place of some of the south african is this uh, an added concern for europe over the winter period
0: exactly this uh, this is one one thing i have read as well reports that uh, four capes of uh, from colombia and also from richards bay were heading into china so definitely there is let's say uh, an upside risk as more atlantic supply find its way into the pacific but this could have been just an opportunity, let's say, in the short term, just because we didn't have a strong demand from, from other players. If I'm thinking about the outlook for the winter, I'm going back again to, to La Nina as uh, La Nina risks to bring uh, colder weather in Northeast Asia as well. So this could actually, I mean, based on weather, this could end up tightening the global market as well. But it remains to be seen because... That Australian coal that is not going to China will have to find some buyers as well. So in the end, it remains to see how the balance will be met between the import restrictions, the demand uh, from the change in the shipments, let's say from Atlantic to Pacific, and as well um, how the tensions will be changing going forward. And how much supply will miners globally be able to to come up with?
1: I think, Daniel, you made it very clear that, you know, a lot depends on the weather here and the weather in, in northeast Asia. What is it looking like at the moment? I mean, you mentioned the La Nina effect, which could then drive a cold spell in that part of the world. But what are the prospects at the moment? Would you say it's 50-50, a cold spell, or is it is it a higher likelihood? Than that.
0: There is a higher likelihood for La Niña to to be a strong event at least. That's the latest reports that we have from the major meteorological agencies. So the countries most affected are Japan and the northeast China. I mean, so far we haven't seen a very cold spell, but winter is still to to begin. Let's say, so um, the, the risk is there. But the players have prepared for this. I mean, if we look at the JKM price, uh, the LNG prices in Asia, we have seen increased prices there as well. And that was the result of the restocking that uh, that major players are doing at the moment. But another problem with La Nina, would, or let's say another risk, would come from the fact that it brings increased precipitation in Australia, Indonesia, and even South Africa. And related to Laurie's questions about the API 4 jumping so much, apparently some rains were seen even there that led to to some sort of tightening uh, of the supply in the market and uh, there are some risks of strikes there so there let's say there is a mix of drivers which points somehow to some sort of uh, tightness but at the same time as i mentioned and i repeat this this point the chinese import uh, ban is is one that is partly offsetting or even more than that the current upside risks
1: and then of course I know you have the additional driver of COVID-19, this this global pandemic that, that shows very little sign of abating at the moment. But what are the prospects here? I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how the producing countries have been uh, impacted by the coronavirus and how that could, you know, what are the prospects next year? I mean, if you see the weather impacts in, in South Africa, Indonesia, Australia, you could also maybe potentially have an impact from, uh, from COVID-19.
0: So far, the impact from COVID has been reported to bring delays when it comes to to investments, also due to the fact that travel has been restricted as well, uh, so that has not helped at all the mining industry. And some recent uh, reports were coming out of Indonesia, for example, because Indonesia had some plans of new investments in 2020, which uh, have not been met. Apparently, only around 37% of the initial target for the coal mining industry has been met so far. And most of the miners in the global market seem to have been focusing more on efficiency, cost-cutting measures, instead of investing in infrastructure and heavy equipment. So that has been the result of the virus so far. In terms of trade, all the major countries have uh, have reduced their exports as a result of uh, the demand uh, uh, narrowing as well. However, South Africa and Australia have been uh, the two, let's say, suppliers which haven't seen a strong reduction because of the take-or-pay contracts that they have with railways and ports. So that was one um, driver that prevented a strong decline in in their exports.
1: And how about on the demand side? We've seen a, a sort of. A- big drop in gas and power demand in Europe, at least in the first wave of the pandemic. But what's happened to coal demand if we in, in Europe?
0: In coal um, power generations so or coal burning in Europe so far, we have seen a thirty a 34% drop in 2020. That's a combined effect of all the drivers coming from gas, hydro, demand, the renewables, everything. And uh, in terms of imports, Europe has also been one of the, the regions from the major importers in the world that reduce demand the most. So 30 to 40 percent drop in import demand in Europe uh, has been um, definitely a, a big impact on Colombia, even Russia, US as well, which are the main suppliers to to the continent.
1: And if I can bring the discussion a bit more into the, maybe the medium and, and, and long-term outlook do you think, is coal in Europe sort of ever likely to come back and compete with gas? And under what circumstances?
0: That's a tough question. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> and, <laughs> and why am I saying that? It's because, um, I mean, of course, we are all aware of the fact that we are shifting the focus away from coal. And if we look on the plans of, of uh, each countries from uh, Italy, Spain, Germany, France, everyone is uh, trying to, to or let's say, already have in place the targets uh, to, to decommission coal power capacity. So definitely a revival in terms of demand is not likely to be seen. However, what could happen is that in times of, let's say, weak output from renewables, and I'm thinking mostly about Q1, Q4 uh, periods uh, during the winter time, then you could see, let's say, a need to bring up coal in order to balance demand. But Structurally, I think if we are to, to think about long term uh, coal demand prospects in Europe, definitely we are not going to see a strong rebound in that.
1: I mean, you've seen in the UK from the, the start of November saw quite a lot of coal burn. But what other countries, well, the UK is going to phase it out by 2025 anyway, but where are the, the other strongholds that, that are going to keep this coal demand going? I mean, with Poland, Eastern Europe, Germany, uh, are these the markets for, for coal in the future?
0: So far, we have Germany, Poland, of course, but even Poland has uh, set up some targets to come up with the decommissioning plan for coal power capacity. So apart from Germany, we have Italy and Spain. So these three markets, I would say, are the most relevant so far. And that could still keep the market, let's say, interesting, at least for the next two, three, five years, max. But all the rest um, are shifting away f- and more into gas.
1: So when do you see this demise of coal-fired power generation actually? Happening.
0: I think big shifts are, are gonna be seen starting from uh, 2023 2025. That will be will be the time that will bring a change. Let's say, as we will lose, we will close down more coal power capacity based on the current plans that countries have at the moment.
1: Is this based on? Market dynamics or policy? I mean, uh, you know, uh, or or a bit of both, do you think, Dana?
0: I think both uh, are doing a good job, let's say. (laughs) I mean, uh, (laughs) if we look back at 2019, gas has done its role into doing this natural uh, shift from coal to gas. CO2 will work as well as as a driver in the future. Uh, The price of CO2 will remain highly, highly important. And uh, as we know, it's more likely to be higher than lower, at least not to discuss the level. So all in all, I think uh, policy and market forces are both working together in coming up with um, reduction in coal power capacity.
1: And then the talk in, in Brussels is about the green deal and the green recovery to, to spur this shift to clean energy. But I, I'm just wondering, in, in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, is it that likely to accelerate the end of coal? Or is it, will it slow it down as, as, you know, people seek to, you know, have a cheaper way to keep the lights on when they have to prioritize boosting the economy in the other areas
0: it depends on the the countries we are we are considering if you look at what has happened in in the past months even china has pledged carbon uh, neutral uh, aim by 2060 so um, apparently the the whole market is uh, is moving slowly into that i'm not sure if that was necessarily corona but for sure uh, <laughs> They are, they are jumping on this uh, wagon of uh, reducing uh, emissions. And at the same time, I see that more of the emerging countries in Southeast Asia as well are kind of dropping their plans on, on investing in coal power and moving towards more renewables. So in a way, yes, Corona, just because it has reduced uh, uh, energy demand and industrial demand and maybe... Uh, uh, even pushed for uh, for for countries to, to revise their investments. And uh, we know that renewables are a little bit cheaper than, than all the rest at the moment. So that could have had an impact as well. But at the same time, the whole pledge to, to reduce carbon emissions in the future is is taking a toll as well. I
2: and mean, in talking about the Atlantic Basin, so the broader um, Atlantic Basin demand, you mentioned earlier about Turkey. I mean, do you see, or to what extent do you see Turkey, North Africa, Middle East, Offsetting some of the decline in this, at least in the basin, elsewhere in, in Europe.
0: I don't think they will have the power to offset the drop in demand that we we'll have that we see in Europe now, for sure. So overall, the demand uh, in in the Atlantic basin will just shrink by default, and the, the the most important question still remains: What will happen with demand in the Pacific basin? Because um, that is what will uh, will drive the prices. It has been doing so for a while, and that is what will drive the prices as well in the future. because as I've mentioned, Russia has this opportunity to to ship either to the to the west or to the east. So the the price in Russia will be driven by where demand sits. If Pacific demand is higher, then for sure that will help Russian prices to move away from cash costs. If Pacific demand dries up then um, Russian miners will not have the power to ask for uh, too high prices for their coal.
1: It's fascinating that you've described all the, the different drivers that will keep you very, very occupied in the coming year and, and beyond. But if you're talking about a demise of coal from 2023 to 2025, where does that leave you as, as a senior coal analyst? You know, wh- what does that mean for you professionally, Diana?
0: It will just mean that I have to focus more and more on China, India, <laughs> and all the rest of the world. And uh, probably we'll will get more interest into, into other fuels. Uh, for example, gas and LNG would be something very interesting to, to look out for. And probably working uh, well to, to replace coal, even in, in the Asian uh, regions.
1: Excellent. Well, well, the best of la- luck with that, Diana. And, and thank you very much for joining the, the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. It's always a pleasure to have you here. And, and you as well, Laurie. So thank you. Thank you as well.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Richard and Lawrence as well. And uh, I wish you a very good end of the week.
2: Thank you, Diana <laughs> and Richard.
1: So listeners, that's about all from the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. Thank you both to Lawrence again and, and to Diana. Remember, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct any message suggestions or questions or ideas for potential guests by email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in the energy markets, coal, electricity, power, carbon on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave a review if you can. Thank you and goodbye.